Welcome to In the Isles, the movie and TV podcast that features two giant CGI northerners in an epic clash of opinions. I'm James Rothwell. I'm Dan Acton. This week, we'll talk about what we've been watching. We have some real, real news, and our main review is Godzilla versus Kong. Exciting. James, have you done your homework for this? Have you brought yourself up to speed with the other films in the Godzilla universe? I realised that I have watched the 2014 Godzilla only once, and I have watched Kong vs. Skull Island. It was entertaining, as you said. But you've not watched the other one? No. Neither have I. Did it impair our understanding of the film and how we received it? You'll have to wait. How has your week been? It's been okay. Me and my other half, we decided to partake in a bit of gaming. We don't game together. That's not what we do. Obviously irrelevant to a film podcast, this, but I just thought I'd throw it in there if we do have a casual gamer who's a listener. It Takes Two, available on most platforms, is a cooperative gaming experience, and it really does rely on you being very in sync with one another. It helps build a relationship. I, I'm not saying it's improved my relationship dramatically, but I'd highly recommend it. We've had a lot of fun now that the missus has mastered using both analog sticks because that was a huge sticking point. For a long time she just couldn't master the fact that the right stick is for the camera it just didn't compute with her at all but once we nailed that we had a very good time with it and i know you and the missus are quite prone to a, a bit of gaming here and there together seek it out i think it's worth a go it's the most fun we've had since we last had sex this isn't <laughs> <sighs> your joke interrupted my joke this isn't based on the 1995 film starring the olsen twins is it no, it's not, James. That was wishful thinking. James, let's dive right in. What have you been watching this week? Invincible on Amazon Prime. Have you heard of this? I don't believe I have. I've said that before, though, and it ends up I have. But go on, explain it to me. I think it's crept out without a lot of marketing. It's a cartoon on Amazon Prime based on the comic book by Robert Kirkman. Yes, that Robert Kirkman from Walking Dead fame. It's got an all-star cast with Stephen Yen, J.K. Simmons, and Sandra Oh. Every voice that you look up, you will recognise who they are. And I thought I'd looked everyone up, and then it turns out Mark Hamill's in it as well. It's about the son of Omni-Man, who is like Superman. And this son, Mark Grayson, he gets his powers when he turns 18, and it's about him having to deal with life as a young superhero. There is an episode one twist that reveals the actual premise I won't spoil, but it's very difficult to talk about it without talking about the twist because that is what this whole thing is about. In general terms, what this turns out to be is an ultra-violent, very well-acted, well-written, subversive superhero cartoon. It's like the boys in that sense. What would the world be like if Superman really existed and he wasn't the perfect man? It takes the tropes of comic books and superhero films and has fun with them, and it's a lot of fun to watch the animation is not the best i can understand if you put off just by that my wife was she turned to my screen that I was watching it on it was an iphone and said what is that what are you watching that looks terrible but i think the animation is like that by design it looks like a 90s saturday morning cartoon because that's what it's subverting 
I think it would only work as a cartoon because in the third episode, there are three massive alien invasion battles like the first Avengers film. You could not do this live action. And I hope that with the budget they're doing it on, that means that it will go on for years because this comic book has been going for 18 years, I believe. There's lots of stories to draw on. And since I've binge watched these first three episodes, I've been thinking about it and I want to see more. It really is very good. Invincible on Amazon Prime. Are they quite long episodes? Or? They are actually. They're 45, 50 minutes long, which surprised me for an animation. Yeah, I wasn't expecting you to say that. I was expecting something around the 22 minute, 30 second mark, but that's fine. I'm still I'm still intrigued. I hadn't heard of that at all. So thank you for making me aware. What else do you want to make me aware of this week? What have you been watching? Seaspiracy on Netflix. <sighs> Wanted to watch this. Have you seen Cowspiracy? No. I haven't either, and this is from the same makers, but it's not the same filmmaker. It's about a young filmmaker investigating the truth behind what is polluting our oceans. And he quickly concludes that overfishing is causing catastrophic damage to the environment because it disrupts the food chain. And a large proportion of the plastic waste in the oceans is from fishing boats like nets and ropes. I was completely taken in by this. There are interviews with scientists and campaigners and well-known environmentalists. It's a well-made documentary. Then halfway through, I looked at one of the interviewees on Twitter because I thought she worked where I do. She doesn't. And she tweeted that she didn't know what documentary she was in and she loves the fishing industry and she supports it as a vital industry for certain communities. And then I read more negative comments saying that this documentary is racist because it presents Asians as villains it doesn't interview any fishermen, and almost all the people that are interviewed are white. It focuses on industrial fishing, and there's no mention of the communities who fish because that's all there is to eat. And all those criticisms are true. So now I don't know what to believe. I felt like I was sucked in and manipulated by this one-sided documentary. Ali Tabrizi, who's the young filmmaker behind it, he is too prominent in it. He makes himself too much of a character. It's about him finding out things, not exposing things. He presents it as though he's exposing that Japan has the dolphin cover that they do whaling, but that's that's common knowledge. And he goes to a fishing port at night and he's hiding behind this wall and he's filming himself saying, I've just stumbled across one of the biggest blue fin tuna operations in the world. And he's presenting it as though he's found this illegal thing, but it's a completely normal legal fishing port that's working at night. <laughs> but he acts but he acts like it's this big conspiracy. And then he walks up to them in the daytime to try and film them, sticking cameras in the faces. And they're saying, Why film us? Go away, don't film us. And then he he narrates it saying, and they didn't want to be filmed. They didn't want to be filmed. Well, of course they don't want to be filmed. They don't even know who you are. So it's worth watching. It's worth watching, but just be aware that it's one-sided and it's not presenting this whole other side of fishing, which is people just fishing to eat and live. That is weird, that, because I, I don't know how I'd react to someone coming into my place of work and shoving a camera in my face, because currently that's my bedroom. So I'd be questioning, one, how they got in, and two, where's my phone so I can ring the police. Anyway, that sounded interesting. I'm going to watch it. That's Seaspiracy on Netflix. Daniel, what have you been watching? On In The Isles podcast, we like to stay current. We like to be hip to the groove. I said that ironically. So let's talk about one of the most watched films in the world right now. 
It's so damn hot right now. Lurking away in the worldwide Netflix top 10 is the drama thriller nobody asked for. It's Deadly Illusions. Deadly Illusions is about an author played by Kristen Davis. She's done her time as an author. She's made her money. She's settled into this. <laughs> what are you laughing at? It's got 1.5 on Google. It's really rare for anything to have a low rating on the Google search results. She's made her money and she's settled into this luxurious lifestyle, smoking cigars in the afternoon in a ridiculously sized mansion, having a wine. Why not? She's living a seemingly perfect existence alongside her husband and two children. Her book publishing firm come to her with a very tasty offer. She's presented with $2 million to write another entry into this long-running book series. At first, she declines. After all, she doesn't need the money. But then she learns her husband has made some poorly judged trade deals and has sunk half of their savings into a bad investment, which, by the way, is explained to you in the weirdest manner I've ever come across. Her husband comes home, they have sex, and then he, he reveals what he's done. But the audio is muffled and overlapped with tidbits of the conversation that don't make any sense in terms of giving you the specifics about what he's actually done. It's almost as if they went, I, I don't know how trade deals work, so I can't I can't write that into the script. Oh, let's just shove a reaction in. So it then just cuts to her going, you've done what? How could you do this? Why have you not told me? But you don't know what he's done. And that's not like to retain the mystery. It's just not important to the plot at all. It's just a way to give her an incentive to write this book now. That's all it's there for. Anyway, in order to facilitate this writing process, she hires a nanny so that she can ignore her children for the next six months and begin the creative process. And guess what? The nanny's entrance starts to point out cracks in the relationship. The mum starts to develop sexual feelings towards the nanny. The husband may also have a wandering eye. Is the nanny a psychopath with ill intentions? Or is the mum simply going mad? It's a mystery which builds to a rather predictable and less than satisfying ending. It wants to live in the same space as films like The Hand That Rocks the Cradle, Basic Instinct, etc. But it's so flat as a film that it just doesn't live up to this erotic thriller that it wants to be. I mean, it's not even sexy. It's uncomfortable to watch at points, if I'm being honest. This is so unapologetically a Lifetime movie. The only thing that stops it from being dumped on Lifetime is the fact that it has a few random swear words and the tiniest hint of a nip. That's a nipple. There's nothing to comment on in terms of the filmmaking with this. There's nothing remotely interesting about it. It's just basic. The acting at points is also really highly questionable. Now, you might be asking, why did you watch this? Why? (laughs) I've not got a good reason for it. I watched it because one of my workmates turned me on to it. He said, oh, I could watch this quite good film at the weekend. I IMDb'd it. I thought, it's got 3.6 out of 10, Ollie. What are you talking about? And normally, I, his word carries a lot of weight with me. We like similar things, but thanks, Ollie. I'm never listening to you ever again. It is mad that this is one of the most watched films in the world right now. It's the perfect example of how the industry and the landscape has changed, I suppose. Five years ago, nobody would watch this. It would just disappear off into the Netflix abyss, which it still will do. It's just more people have seen it than they should have done. Don't waste your time on it. Skip it. Deadly illusions. Now forget what I've said. And that's on Netflix, is it? Yes. If it's an erotic thriller, that will hit the algorithm for a lot of people because 365 Days was so popular. So maybe that's why. 
it's reached a lot of people. Maybe so. Maybe so. There's a lot of pervs out there, me included. Got to be honest with you, you've not inspired me to watch it. That was the aim. Good. Okay. What else have you been watching? From the most watched film in the world to the most watched TV series in the UK. Like 10 million other people, if you in figures to be believed, I tuned in to the Series 6 opening episode of Line of Duty. Before I dig in, James, I don't think you watch this, do you? No. Arguably, it's one of the only shows keeping the BBC alive. That's probably not true. But outside of shows like The Bodyguard, I can't remember another BBC show that has developed this sort of fanatical following with everyone waiting in bated breath for the next episode. And it is well-deserved. I've loved every other series of this. That, by the way, is each and every one. It doesn't mean I liked series one, three, and five. Yes, it jumps the shark on a few occasions and the never-ending plot twist can be a bit overwhelming. But it's executed in a very assured manner. If you have lived under a rock for the past six years, or Hartlepool, go back and listen to our Lucid review if you want that joke to make sense, episode 27. It's a crime drama about a police anti-corruption division, AC12, who are hell-bent on nicking bent carpers. It's terrible. The latest season sees a highly dependable Kelly MacDonald join the cast as a series regular, and she's the focus of this season's investigation as they believe that she's in some shape or form, colluding to railroad an investigation into a journalist who's been murdered. As you would expect with Line of Duty, there's naturally conspiracies that are rife and there are numerous callbacks to characters from other seasons, hinting at some higher powers at play. Maybe this goes right to the top of the establishment. I was going to say, if you've not seen the earlier seasons, you probably can make sense of it, but I do think that you're best to go back and watch the rest if you want the full enjoyment out of it. I watched a Line of Duty recap before I watched this, which was interestingly narrated by Philomena Kunk, which was quite funny. But it still didn't make any sense to me. I thought, I've forgotten all this. There's just too much that's gone on. Another point on that, you might struggle to make sense of it, even if you've seen the other seasons, not just because there's so much to take in and it's easy to forget, but because there's there's been quite a not, lot of noise about this at the minute, but there's a lot of jargon that's used in the show. The creator, Jed Mercutio, is a stickler for detail, so he ensures that the characters and the way that they talk to one another is very on point with what the police force would say. So there's a lot of abbreviations which make naff all sense to the majority of us civvies. The biggest one of all is he seems to have learned a new word, which is chiz. And chiz is probably said without any explanation at least 30 times in the first episode. And as you would imagine, chiz sounds like something else. And there's been a lot of people saying, what is this quite rude word that they're all saying? I don't understand it. It's overused. If you're not going to even at one point address what it means, don't say it 30 odd times in the show it did get a bit relentless if i'm honest they seem to have recognized that come episode two and it starts to delve a lot more into the mystery and i am finding myself very intrigued it's not a disappointment it's right up there with the other seasons in terms of it being some of the best tv that's available right now i'm highly enjoying it i'm just trying to find my way through all the bullshittery of the jargon but it's good i'd recommend it line of duty on bbc thank you is it the same cast for the whole thing? Or has the cast just gradually changed over the six years? Watch a season or two and you'll get that the cast does 
change quite regularly, but it still keeps its three central characters in terms of Kate and Steve and Hastings there throughout the entirety. Right. Like Strictly Come Dancing. Core team is there. Everyone else changes. A lot, lot of similarities with Strictly Come Dancing, yeah. Well, that is the other BBC programme that pulls in 10 million viewers. Fair comparison, then. James, do you wish to get real for at least five minutes? Yes, I do. It's the real thing. It is now real, real news, news. The Google homepage suggested an article to me from comicbookmovie.com that was reporting on the confirmation that Warner Brothers had confirmed two Justice League sequels and that the Snyderverse was going to be restored. Maybe as a sign of how little I care, I saw it and thought, okay, okay, let's see what the action is on the rest of the internet. Couldn't find anything about it. It took me 10 minutes to realise it was an April Fool's article. Right, to be fair to you, though, that's not out of the realms of possibility, is it, given everything that's happened since Zack Snyder's Justice League has been released? I don't blame you for falling for that. That's just news from the future, that. Yeah, yeah. And there's a real piece of news about DC movies that was also on April 1st, but that is real, which is the New Gods and the Trench, which were in development, are now cancelled. Had you heard of either of these New Gods and the Trench? No, no idea of about any of them. Either, should I say. I hadn't either. New Gods is a film that's based on two planets off in the DC universe. One of them is where Darkseid lives. And The Trench is a spin-off of Aquaman. I had no, I, I didn't know. It's being treated as a great loss for the DC universe, but I've not heard of them. And if I've not heard of them and you've not heard of them, then that must mean that the average bloke <laughs> hasn't heard of them and isn't bothered. But it does show, doesn't it, what you were talking about in last week's episode, that DC is an absolute shit show all over the place, isn't it? They don't have a clue. They're just throwing everything at the wall and seeing what sticks. And it turns out very little. I'd argue the biggest loss for the DC universe is the last six years, really, because it's just been a sham. Sorry, James, you're bearing the brunt of, of real news this week because somebody didn't do the homework. I'm talking about me. But what else have you got? My third article that I mainly just want to complain about is in The Hollywood Reporter, and it's Godzilla vs. Kong and the Future of the Monsterverse. This is a 1,890-word article. Yes, I counted. With no actual information about the future of the Monsterverse, I thought this would be useful to discuss in our review later. And what's apparent is that no one knows the future of the Monsterverse, even The Hollywood Reporter, because they've got nothing, nothing to say about it. What are they buffering out a whole article with? What are the words? What are they saying then if they're saying nothing? They talk about the history of the Monsterverse, that there's going to be a Skull Island anime on Netflix, and a little bit of spoilers about Godzilla vs. Kong. There's other monsters that they can draw on. They cite Reddit as a source of possible future stories. <laughs> there's reference to the cut post credit scene, which actually is useful. I didn't watch that. There isn't one. Oh, oh, the cuts. Yeah, yeah, right. Yeah. Okay, makes sense. <laughs> and stuff about Pacific Rim. Pointless. But they got my click. They got my click. They've got two clicks now because I've gone back to look at it to discuss it here. And we've wasted two minutes discussing it on the podcast. So 
Can I just, I, I'm not insinuating you're a liar here, by the way, but you said you counted the words in this article. Did you use a piece of software to calculate that for you? Because if you went through manually, I'd be pretty disappointed in you. I did use software. I used Google Docs. In the Isles, sponsored by Google Docs. Hello, I'd like to order an opinion, please. This film is new, fresh point of view. Call me sit back, this is a fact. We in the Isles, here are some Isles. Thoughts in sync, tell you what to think. I'll listen to you, but please don't rap again. This week's main review is Godzilla vs. Kong. We need Kong. The world needs him. To stop what's coming. And this child. She's the only one he'll communicate with. I knew that they had a bond. She had nowhere to go, so... I made a promise to protect her. And I think that, in some way... Kong did the same. A discarded script for Batman v Superman that Zack Snyder deemed too short and too comprehensible is retooled into Godzilla vs Kong, a film whose production company is a subsidiary of a Chinese conglomerate that by pure coincidence ends with the complete destruction of Hong Kong. This is a film so determined to give the audience what they want that it actually gives the audience what they want, albeit on an iPhone via the HBO Max app. The epic next chapter in the cinematic monsterverse pits two of the greatest icons in motion picture history against one another. The fearsome Godzilla and the mighty Kong with humanity caught in the balance. Daniel, what did you think of Godzilla versus Kong? We spoke about it at the top of the show. I'm not a huge lover of this franchise. I thought Godzilla was passable. I did like Skull Island quite a bit. And I hadn't seen The Last Godzilla, which had me a bit worried because I didn't know how much knowledge I needed going in. And also, I'm feeling a bit weary of Versus films. We've had Alan V. Farrow, we discussed Batman v Superman, and now this. But I liked Skull Island, as I said, so I was quite excited. And I came into this with reasonably high expectations because the general reception to it has been overwhelmingly positive from what I've seen. I did like the fact that it wasn't two hours of monsters beating the living shit out of each other. That could have got very boring very quickly. Instead, it takes its time to settle the story, and it's a good 40 minutes, I think, before the first battle between the two of them kicks off. When it does, it doesn't disappoint. It's a well-choreographed fight, and it is a very good-looking film. I can't fully recall what the CGI was like in the previous films, but this looks fantastic, especially Kong. But I can't say the same about Godzilla, and I don't mean that in terms of the special effects, but I've never liked the way he looks in these films. He's like a morbidly obese dog that's been put in dinosaur costume. It just doesn't sit right with me. As for the story itself, I waited a full hour and 10 minutes before I made any real judgment on it, but I didn't find it very interesting at all. 
we'll come on to it in spoilers, but the subplot involving Madison Russell, who's played by Millie Bobby Brown, and this conspiracy theorist podcast host, it doesn't really add anything to the story and it just goes nowhere. That complaint aside, it does provide that subplot, brief moments of humour, and I did find little bits of it quite funny. Especially Madison Russell's Kiwi friend, so it's not all negative. I can say Kiwi, that's not derogatory, is it? No, it's not. Good, good. Those moments of humour, though, they are much needed because it feels like this film wants you to take the premise seriously, yet it's filled with these ridiculous plot holes and you just expect it to brush it aside. So the, the humour made me go, go on, I'll be a bit more forgiving because maybe you don't want us to take you too seriously. But the, those number of plot holes, it did wear me down a bit. You've got a guy who's a conspiracy theorist and he's got this podcast and he's taking down the company that he works for. So you tell him nobody knows his voice at all of the thousands and thousands of people who listen to that podcast. He also works for them, like I say, and he's got this plan to steal data. And the whole way in which he goes about that is if you bombard somebody with being annoying, they will go to the toilet and leave the computer unattended. That's That pairs off. Seems he was right in what he was thinking, but I thought, hang on a minute. A minor spoiler, King Kong at one point is chained down for hours on end. But when the moment demands it, he rips these shackles off. Why didn't he just do that in the first place? There's another bit as well where <laughs> after the first confrontation between Godzilla and Kong, they go, oh, shut the power off, shut the power off. So there's no noise, nothing. Let him think that he's won. And then somebody makes a comment like, yeah, but the moment that we start moving again or things get powered back on, he'll know about it and he'll come back. So they choose to fly Kong somewhere. Are you telling me that planes and helicopters don't make any noise? <sighs> One thing that took me by surprise and not in a good way, I can't say I was prepared for how sci-fi heavy this film goes. The entire middle section about going to Hollow Earth, it just, it's fantasy anyway. It's not supposed to be realistic, but part of the joy for me is imagine if this happened in the real world and it just... I'd felt that it was one step too far removed from reality for me to get fully invested in it. It's not a terrible film by any stretch. It's a switch your brain off, don't question the logic, and absorb the action type of affair. I was just expecting a little more. But James, that's just me. Dan V. James, what did you think? My background is the same as you, as stated previously. I've not seen King of Monsters, and I only watched Skull Island the day before watching this, so I was primed. I think they have moved away from the serious tone of the original 2014 Godzilla, and this is something a bit lighter, like Skull Island and the opening credits that has the Godzilla vs. Kong title card as though it's a boxing match. I think that shows that it is a bit of a lighter tone. It does mean that the series as a whole is tonally inconsistent but it doesn't really matter so how do they contrive to have godzilla and kong fight what human drama causes the fight nothing they're both alphas and godzilla is coded somehow to want to fight genius that's all that they need and what they add to it is kong wanting to go home and find more of his own kind find his family and the humans are mostly just watching that does mean that it doesn't get bogged down with characters that we don't care about, but it also doesn't go overboard establishing the lore of these Titans. There's no 20-minute flashback to the Titan War narrated by Gal Gadot. There's paintings on a wall, one or two lines, done. Now they fight again. I know there's no comparison between this and Batman v Superman, but it does show that it's possible to deliver on the expectations of a film's title 
in under two hours and not completely mess it up. The visuals, colours, colours, it's good to look at. The open ocean, prehistoric environment, neon Hong Kong, there's always something going on visually. If Wonder Woman was in this, we'd be able to see that her costume is red and blue. The CGI is unbelievable. Kong looks real. He looks real. It doesn't hide them in foggy night scenes. We see the monsters fight in daylight. It looks awesome. It's a shame that we couldn't see it at the cinemas. There are humans in the film, as you've touched on. There's a bunch of subplots going on, but I think the balance was right. They deliver some expository dialogue. They're not annoying. They mostly stay out of the way. Apart from Kaylee Hottle, the deaf girl who is friends with Kong, and the actress is also deaf, and this is her first role. Rebecca Hall, I love Rebecca Hall. She stands out as well, and she did make me care about her relationship with her sort of adopted daughter. Overall, it's out to entertain. They know what it is. They know what we want, and I think it delivers. Fair enough. Very well argued. And I feel as though maybe I've been overwhelmingly negative. Is that how it came across? No, it's not. Okay. Like I say, I just, I understand where you're coming from. I think I agree. It is not unnecessarily bogged down with these characters. They just provide information that you need to know. But I don't really care about Kong or Godzilla either, and that, is a problem for me. I feel as though there should be a bit of a emotional attachment, especially to Kong, but I didn't have one. And by the end, I'm not going to lie, I just kind of switched off and I started looking at my phone in the, during the end battle. I just didn't really care anymore. Again, there's some nice stuff in there with the human characters, like you've said, Rebecca Hall and her surrogate daughter. The only thing that I couldn't get out of my mind is why are you consistently putting your daughter in endless danger? They travel... In fact, that's a spoiler. I can't go into that. But she just does. She doesn't care. She's like, oh, this is probably all right for my small daughter to be on this 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 boat with a enormous gorilla. I let's travel to somewhere that's never been travelled to before, where somebody previously died when they attempted it. But it's all right for you to come along. I just didn't ring true with me. And I don't. I'm sure this is something I've heard as a previous complaint from people in the other films. But did you feel like Kong has varying degrees of enormousness? He's smaller in Skull Island, but he doesn't. his size doesn't change within this film, I didn't think. I noticed it quite a bit. Maybe I'm wrong because it's all a matter of perspective, I guess, and camera angles and such, but it did strike me as when they're on the boat, he's big when he's in the city. He's massive, massive, and I thought it didn't seem, again, too consistent, but oh well. I did think the same thing. When he was on the boat, I thought, that is a massive boat. It's twice the size of him, and he's as big as a massive building. So that boat is twice the size of a skyscraper. Mm. But in Kong Skull Island, they do have a line where they say, oh, he's not fully grown, he's still relatively young. So I know there's this thing of the size comparison, but there is one line in Skull Island that says he's still not fully grown. Got themselves off the hook there then, I guess. One minor thing... I hope I say her name right. Eliza Gonzalez, she was in I Care A Lot. Maybe she'll take the mantle of most mentioned actress on this podcast this year. What a something and nothing role for her. She contributes nothing. She's given hardly any dialogue. I just thought, I thought this was a big step down. She's underused here because she's quite a good actress. Isa Gonzalez. That's what. Thank you. No, no I agree. It's, a, it's not much of a role. It's a very one note. She's the corporate stooge who talks smack to people and i wondered why she couldn't just be the boss and not have that man not have her father 
just have her, but then you'd need to have someone with Rebecca Hall's crew to argue with them. I don't know, but yeah, it was it wasn't a great role, but I think she did it well. She did well with what she was being asked to do, which was just not be very nice and be the villain. While we're on characters and whatnot, you might be able to provide me with some explanation, although it seems we've got the same level of understanding of the franchise. You've watched Kong Skull Island recently, so I hold out hope. In terms of connective tissue, who's back from the other films? As far as I understand it, Rebecca Hall and Kyle Chandler, no one else. Is that right? No one returns from Kong Skull Island, because it was set 50 years ago. I think returning from King of Monsters, there's Kyle Chandler, as you say, and Millie Bobby Brown. And I think the pilot, not the pilot, the guy who does something in the third act of the film, he's (laughs) the son of Ken Watanabe's character. Right. I think that's all we've got returning. But I think that was fine. It didn't leave me completely clueless as to what's going on. I did wonder if Rebecca Hall was in the previous films, but she's not. And I've seen one theory, it may be a fact, that there's a King Kong film missing here, all about Kong and his relationship with Jaya, the daft girl, and Rebecca Hall's character. But they sacked it off after King of Monsters didn't do well and skipped straight to this. I am putting a bit of blame on myself for how lukewarm I am on this film. Maybe if I'd revisited the other films quite recently, I'd have a different impression and a bit more build-up, but I didn't. So there you go. If you are that person and you quite like this franchise, you might be pleasantly surprised. I want to pick up on the sci-fi element. I was surprised as well that they do science jargon to explain the inverted gravity of the hollow earth and they build spaceships. They are spaceships to fly into it. That was a bit over the top. I don't think it needs that. We've already got giant monsters. We don't need spaceships as well. And they didn't need to overcomplicate it with science jargon. Just have holes in the ground that are hidden somehow, and you need monster magic to get in. It was an overcomplicated way to get them in the hole and get them into the hollow earth setting. I'm going to be transparent. It's probably one more for spoilers, but... I had no idea what was going on there. I don't know why they were going. I don't know what purpose it served. I checked out, I think. And it was little other bits like like you referred to the spaceships. Turns out you need no prior knowledge on how to fly one of those things. You can just pick it up. It's fine. Not an issue. For me, just too much laziness littered about this script. And I think that has affected my impressions of it, which I'm not going to blame on myself. That's not my fault. That's theirs. It is. I'm going to add a plot hole to your plot hole. With Kong's chains, how he was in them, they also talk about how he's sedated, 88% sedated, whatever that means. (laughs) And then when Kong, sorry, when Godzilla turns up, he's not sedated anymore. (laughs) They don't unsedate him. He's just not sedated anymore and he fights. Maybe it's the equivalent of, you know, you get extremely hammered one night, you passed out, someone throws a glass of water on you. You would never have woke up for another eight hours if nobody had done that, but it's a reaction. I don't know why I'm trying to argue the case. I should, I'll should. i just leave it. James, would you recommend Godzilla v. Kong? Kong v. Godzilla, what's it called? Godzilla versus Kong. Sorry, yeah, that one. Would you? Yes, I would. Shame we can't see it in the cinemas just yet. Daniel, would you recommend Godzilla vs. Kong? I think if you liked the others, you'll like this. It's more of the same. But for me personally, it's a big fat no. I will just add on to what you've said there. You bang on, James. This is a film 
that deserves being in a cinema. It's a, it is a crying shame because I think I could still walk away feeling exactly the same about it, but I think I'd be more taken aback by the visuals on a big screen. And it's not just the visuals, but the sound design as well. The sound gets across the size of everything. So having that in a cinema would have been awesome. Epic. Shall we move into spoilers? Yes. Bruce Willis. Real name is Tyler Durden. Sank at the end. Oh, thanks a lot. Spoilers. I was sad when Isa Gonzalez died. It just happened. It just showed maybe that these are disposable human characters. Well, I would argue that half of humanity is disposable in this film. There's, there's a blatant disregard for human life. They just smash into buildings. Who knows who's inside them? They don't show you because we don't want to think of, of Kong as being this aggressive person who just doesn't care about us all. But it is something that irked way in the background for me. I thought, you're killing thousands of people without us knowing about it. I noticed that as well. And in the opening attack, when Godzilla attacks the Apex facility, there's massive destruction. Six people died. How the hell did only six people die from that? And yeah, when they're in Hong Kong, they say at the start they evacuated the city. There's no way you can evacuate somewhere like Hong Kong so quickly that thousands of people didn't die in that scene it was left hidden we didn't see any loss of human life so i guess we'll just ignore it i don't want to keep going on about plot holes but it did it did piss me off the bit where the apex cybernetic facility gets destroyed this then bleeds into the subplot with the podcast host and millie bobby brown's character once they discover who he is and they go oh let's infiltrate and I thought, I'm going to give you this. It's fine. You can infiltrate this facility because, one, he used to work there, so presumably he's got a security pass. And, two, everything's been annihilated, so the security system probably doesn't work anymore. Then they get shot off to Hong Kong to an equivalent facility, but they can just roam around freely there. They don't need a security pass. Or, presumably, the security is so lackadaisical that it just works across the board in any facility in the world that is this Apex Cybernetics. I don't know. I just... Lazy, again, for me. Yeah, well, it was lazy to get them into Hong Kong in the first place, I think. Don't they stumble into what they think is a room, but then it turns out they're a train, and then that takes them to where the end of the film is going to be, some underground, super-fast magnetic train network? Yeah, I think it's Amazon's new logistics. Um, <laughs> <laughs> and uh, it, it's not a film that demands looking at plot holes, I suppose. But I did wonder how you secretly build something the size of Mecha Godzilla underground. But I think it's kind of suggested that it's in a mountain. It's half in this mountain. It's half underground. You've mentioned him there, so probably a good time to bring it up. Mecha Godzilla. I don't know a lot about the law of Godzilla. Is Mecha Godzilla a thing in that pre-existing universe? Or was this a new addition for this film? I don't think it was. It's an extraterrestrial robot in the originals i believe so it's half new half not new i did not see that coming i haven't seen the trailer i would hazard a guess that that's spoiled in the trailer but was quite surprised but once it arrived i didn't care about that either um (laughs) (laughs) yeah he's here it's more of a feast for the eyes and i get that he acts as a reason for Kong and Godzilla to join forces and and buddy up with one another and say, I forgive you, all is well. But it just detracted from those two, really, in the final act for me. And I thought, it's a film all about them, 
and now we've got this other big bastard in the mix. That's fair. I think that that is fair. I did enjoy it, but when it got to that handicap match at the end, I felt a little bit of what you're talking about, that this isn't quite what I signed up for. Not to reference Snyderverse again, but it's actually relevant here. Batman v Superman. They do Batman v Superman, but at the end, it's Batman and Superman and Wonder Woman versus a new CGI monster that we don't really care for at all. It was a bit like that. Mm, Agreed. And if you have the technology to make Mechagodzilla, why not just make weapons that would kill Godzilla instead? Why go to all the effort of making a robot that's massive when you can just make a hundred laser beams that all shoot Godzilla all at once? And if you have a robot that can get in a fist fight with Godzilla, just make a hundred giant spears to stab Godzilla with. You're just compounding my negativity now towards this film. A note on the fights that are the main thing in this film. I liked that they actually had choreography and told a story. It wasn't them punching each other with no thought to what was going on. It's not a Transformers film. For example, Kong has an axe and you got this sense that he was trying to use the axe, but he kept missing or it kept being blocked or he was losing the axe. And you knew that when he got a hit in with the axe, it was going to be important. And it built up that use of the axe. In the Godzilla versus Kong fight, they established that Kong can absorb the nuclear breath with his axe, and that makes it charge up. And then in the handicap fight with Mechagodzilla, they pay it off by having Godzilla charge the axe because now they're teamed up. They actually put thought into the fights is the point that I'm making, and I really enjoyed that. The only reason why I've got nothing to mention in this section, by the way, is it was all the plot holes that I already mentioned in the, the main review. So sorry if I did spoil it for you. Don't think, don't think I did though. Well, if we've got nothing more to say about it, should we look ahead? Do you care about what's next in the MonsterVerse? Has the last 10 minutes implied that I do? No. <laughs> <laughs> no, I think we can just conveniently hit the reset button and try this again in another five years and see if it's any better. Okay. Do you, do you see them continuing this? I've heard that there was a post credit scene that introduced a possible future monster that is not in this. There's no post credit scene. So I wonder what that means. Does that mean that they are not planning to do any more or that they wanted to say this is the end of this arc? I suppose the options are open. They could have the extraterrestrial skull crawlers from Skull Island emerge from the Earth and become more of a threat an extraterrestrial threat, maybe have more come down from space. They could also just leave it because this is the end of the arc. I suppose it will depend on the money. And it is a Warner Brothers property, after all, so not to give the Snyderverse any more of a mention, but they can always do Godzilla versus Kong versus Batman versus Superman. To be fair, that would be amazing. (laughs) (laughs) On paper, yes, but in execution, I fear that it might be absolutely awful. But who knows? We could be watching it in five years' time. In one week's time, what will we be watching in the next episode? I will tell you that I've forgotten. Do you you remember? Chaos Walking. Yes. Why we're putting ourselves through this, I don't know. History on this film that we've discussed offline was that it was screened for audiences and absolutely blasted for being terrible. And then they did quite a lot of re-edits, did they? Yes, and reshoots. So see it as a cautionary review again next week. We'll watch it. 
tell you there's no point watching it. We've saved you the, an hour and a half. So that's the purpose of next week's episode. Yes. And we just want to see Tom Holland again. National treasure, Tom Holland. As ever, thank you for listening. Please do continue to support this podcast by, one, continuing to listen, and two, giving us a five-star review on iTunes. And a review always helps boost us up the podcast charts. If you wish to get in touch with us, you can do so at inthealspodcast at gmail.com. Feedback welcome. And you can follow us on Instagram at in the Isles Podcast. Mm-hmm.